Hello and welcome to the Irish NFL Show. My name is Shane Brennan and thank you very much for joining me again this week. We are a lot of the focus in the NFL world is going towards the playoffs this weekend, but throughout the week there's been a lot of stuff happening in front of the offices of teams that didn't make the postseason, and one of which which I think uh, is causing a lot of conversation, but at the same time can sometimes be overlooked too much, is the surprise announcement that Pete Carroll will not be the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks going forward. And joining me to talk about this is Tim Booth, who is a Seahawks writer with AP. Tim, when the news broke during the week, did you find it particularly surprising that Pete Carroll will not be staying on as head coach? I know there was, there was a lot of talk about the fact that they didn't make the playoffs and his age and things like that. But to me, when the news came out, I, it was something I found very unexpected. I, I think when the when you finally saw the news that it was happening, it was stunning in the moment. Um, but I feel like there had been some signs that there, there'd been some rumbles. There'd been some signs that maybe it was, it was time and there was going to finally be a, a change. Um, you saw kind of, and I, I think Pete kind of knew it himself. Um, as, as much as, you know, he talked in his, in his farewell press conference about how he fought for the opportunity to continue coaching the team. Um, you could kind of sense in the last little bit that he was sort of taking things in and, and maybe in a way appreciating um, moments and opportunities a, a little bit more. Um, there's a, a television colleague here in Seattle who caught this great picture of him out on the field after they won the Monday night game against Philadelphia, sort of just kind of like he's out there with a backwards hat on and just kind of like soaking in the moment. Um, after they won that game. And you just kind of got this feeling that maybe he was taking a few more of those opportunities uh, as, as you know, we got closer to the end of the season. Um, so it was, it was shocking in the moment. I don't think when you look at the broader picture of where the franchise is at, where they've been in recent years, kind of the trajectory that they were on, um, and sort of the expectation that, people thought that this was going to be a season where they were going to make a jump and they, and they didn't. Um, I, I think you can like look at everything in that totality and say, okay, it kind of makes sense that they're going to make a change, but it is still shocking to go through that when all you've known for 14 years is that voice and that person being the face and the, and the, and the front of your franchise. One thing that makes it interesting in comparison to other head coaches and elite people and other coaching staff leaving is the fact that Pete Carroll is going to, still going to be in the building. He's still going to have an advisory role with the Seahawks, or at least that, that's what's been announced. Not quite sure what that role is. Do you see that as uh, just a way of Pete Carroll, obviously, I guess, accepting the fact that maybe he's not the best person to coach, but still wanting to be in the building and still having a love for Seattle? Or is there a possibility that Carroll could just turn around and say, Do you know what, I'm going to coach somewhere else if he gets a good enough offer from another team. I I tend to think that this was sort of a, a an agreement or a compromise to try and save as much face as possible on on him no longer being the coach of the of the organization. Um I do know that Pete has talked about his affinity for Bill Walsh. And there was a time when Pete was the defensive coordinator in San Francisco his final year, and Bill Walsh came back sort of in an administrative advisory role with the 49ers. He'd gone off and done, you know, he'd gone through and won titles. He had left to go do TV, and then he'd gone to Stanford to be a college coach, and then he came back into this sort of 
face in the building, sounding board kind of person for the organization. Um, and I do wonder if the if Pete doesn't get an offer or he just decides, hey, I want to take a break for at least a year from coaching, and they bring in the right person to fill his role here in Seattle, if that's not kind of the situation he finds himself in, if that's not what this advisory role sort of ends up being um, for him, because I do think he likes the idea of still having a, a some fingers or at least a piece of what he's created here. And what he's created here is something that's really special. And, and from talking to over the years to other players and coaches, it's very unique within the NFL, sort of the atmosphere and the environment that he created here during his time. And I don't necessarily think he wants to lose a piece of that. But that that has to come with an understanding of what that would potentially mean in terms of, you know, not overstepping any bounds and having a coach. And in this case, you know, GM John Schneider also being on board with it, but having a coach specifically who would like to have something, some someone like that or has a relationship with Pete going back for however many years to where he would like to have his counsel um, and his voice around. But um, I do still think it, above all of that, I do still think there is a desire for Pete to coach. And if the right opportunity presents itself, I think you would see him jump at, at, at that chance. What if that's going to happen this hiring cycle or if it's a year from now or whatever, I don't, you know, who knows what that's going to, how things are going to transpire. But um, I don't, you know, he's 72. You would think, hey, just right off into the sun and, and you know, be thrilled with the career that you've created. I I don't see that. I, I think he's going to still coach again. Well, if uh, if Bill Belichick and the White House and Congress shows anything, is a 72 is a new 52. You know, these guys have got plenty left in them. And even I was looking at the, the press conference that Pete Carroll showed and I'm, the winning, the Monday Night Football win against Philadelphia that you mentioned earlier. I remember watching him after that. He seemed to have energy. He was youthful. You know, he acted a lot younger than people, even my age, act sometimes. He was just, he was down with them and he connected with the players in a way that, you know, few coaches have the capacity to do. And that is what, I guess, we appreciate of Pete Carroll his ability to, to keep moving forward. But what, what, what surprised me about this is, is the fact that the Seahawks haven't exactly fallen off a cliff. I know the last couple of years that you know, there have been question marks as to where exactly the, the franchise is going, but do you think that there has been some form of decay in the relationship with uh, John Schneider uh, or other people within, within the uh, in the Seahawks organization that led to a meeting where it was basically said, look, Pete, this isn't working. Something has to change here. Because, and, and I know that it is the job of the media and TV people to look into this too much, but some of the stuff I was watching earlier, Mike Floyd, for example, was suggesting that Pete Carroll wanted to stay on as a Seahawks manager. That this isn't the result he wants, and that you know he's less happy about it than yeah, than he makes out in, uh, in front of the cameras. Yeah, I, I, I think Pete was pretty clear yesterday. He still wanted to have this job. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a decay of the relationship or or sort of his his talents as a coach in in any way, um, but over time, you know, things can get stale. And I think there had been a there had been a standard that had gotten set for what this franchise expected to be early in his tenure. They were going to go out and they were going to kick ass on defense. They were going to have a phenomenal run game and they were going to be a 10 win team 
and they were going to win playoff games and they were going to try and compete for championships. That was within the first five years of his tenure here. They'd gone to two Super Bowls. They had reached the divisional round of the playoffs two other times. They had set that standard from the start. And then you look at the last nine years and it had not come close to what, um, what that first period of time established. And within that, you know, they seemed to lose their way. He struggled with um, finding coordinators that fit to run offenses and defenses to the standard that he expected them to. Um, you know, there was personnel issues. There was uh, trades that sort of backfired that, you know, Pete were Pete was the catalyst for wanting to make those things happen and said, hey, John Schneider, please go execute these, these trades and, and make these moves. Um, fortunately, none of those necessarily hamstrung the franchise to the point of being really, you know, disastrous. But yeah, would they rather have two first round picks than Jamal Adams right now? Yeah, they, they absolutely would. Um, so there's been enough evidence, I guess, along the way that they weren't meeting the standard that he had set. And sometimes you need someone to come in and say, look, you set this expectation. You set this platform of, of where we wanted to be every year and we're not meeting it. And you're the one who's in charge. So maybe it's time that we bring in a different voice and see if we can get back to the standard that you in this case, Pete helped create um, during your time as 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 the head coach um, of the team. So, um, I you know relationships go up and down. I, I wouldn't say there was a, a decay at of the relationship. I just think maybe it had run its course, and maybe it was time to let John Schneider truly be in charge of everything. And that's that's sort of the big unknown here. Is at the end of the day, for the past fourteen seasons, Pete Carroll's had the final say on personnel moves on coaches on basically everything and and John Schneider has facilitated making those things happen now it's on John Schneider and I think this will kind of be the first time we get a true gauge of you know we think he's very good based on drafts and and moves that he's been a part of but now it's really on him and it and it starts with who he picks as a as the head coach so just in that case, there, if Schneider obviously wants to sort of take control of the building and move things forward in his vision without Pete Carroll or without Pete Carroll's final say. Is keeping Pete Carroll in the building the best way to do that? It's a great question. It's it's a it's a terrific question, and that's why I think this coaching decision is really going to be fascinating um, because there's a thought of hey, do you stay within the the Seahawks family tree and you bring someone in who understands the culture that was created under under Pete and John and understands the the expectations and the the requirements of that goes into having that job. Um, and that's what leads, I think, a lot to the conversation about someone like Dan Quinn in Dallas as the, the current defensive coordinator who was the defensive coordinator on the Super Bowl teams um, in Seattle or Dave Canales, the offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay, who just got there this last year after a very long stint in a number of different roles um, with the Seahawks. So there's that aspect of it. You know, do you go with someone that's part of the quote unquote family tree or do you go completely off the board and do you bring in someone that has no ties to Seattle, has no ties to Pete Carroll, has no ties to the culture that has been created here and allow them to come in and establish their own. 
Um, it's a great it's a great question because I think it's it kind of feels like it's one way or the other. I don't think there's a necessarily a middle ground there of a person that kind of um, fits both both barrels or both buckets of of what that is. I think it's kind of it's going to be one or the other. And if it's someone who's built in the Seahawks way, so to speak, um, then I think that allows for Pete to still be around and to still have a little bit of a voice in terms of how, you know, how things operate and, and ties in with the players that have been around and the veterans who've been around for, for a number of years, or do you go the complete op- opposite route? It's, it's, and there's no, and the other piece of this, there's no track record with John because he's never had to do this before. It's been 14 years of, of him and Pete, and he didn't never had to do this in the, in a previous role prior to coming to Seattle. So, it's just that whole dynamic of it is really fascinating to to see how it's going to play out. And just in terms of the actual decision, because as much as all of these decisions have come out this week now that the season is over, they're obviously never, very few of them were actually ever made in the final week. I'm looking back towards the Seahawks season, and we were, we mentioned a couple of times now the Monday Night Football win against the Eagles, but that was quite important for the Seahawks because they lost four games in a row before that, something which I'm right in saying had never happened in the Pete Carroll era before. Yep. Yep. Um, what was what, was that the moment that people were thinking, okay, we need a, a new era for a new decade, or were the question marks around P. Carroll hanging around even longer than that? Oh, there's been there's been question marks going back a few years, um, and especially the the they really started the 2021 season when, um, you know, Russell Wilson was still the quarterback, but you could tell that you know there was a deterioration of the relationship there. He'd gotten hurt for part of that year. They missed the playoffs. They finished with a losing record um, for the first time since 2017, I believe. Um, you know, going back that far, there had been some some talk of like, okay, is it is it time? But then they turn around the following year with a roster that's by all all accounts deemed to be, you know, one of the worst in the league going into the season. And here they go and they go nine and eight and they start the season six and two and Gino's the comeback player of the year and they make the playoffs and everyone thinks, okay, here comes the, here comes the upward trajectory. And then they have what looks like another really good draft um, capitalizing on the, on the trade with Russell and everyone thinks, okay, here comes, here comes the next step. This feels a lot like the 2011, 2012, Hey, we're going to build into 2013 and, and, and be a, be a Super Bowl contender in 2024. Like that was kind of the picture that everyone had of, of how they would perfectly map it out in their mind. But you go back to 2021 and yeah, there were people back then who were like, yeah, it's the, the, the debate back then though was more, is it Russell or Pete? Are we keeping Russell or are we keeping Pete? And then the trade happens and it's clear, okay, well, they kept Pete and decided to move on from Russell. Um, this was more... This time was have 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 they stagnated? Has the franchise hit a plateau? Are they always going to be perpetually this in this nine and eight, eight and nine? Maybe they win ten games kind of area. And what still needs to happen to get them to be back to being twelve wins, thirteen wins, and more so competing with the NFC West? It had become clear that the that there was a there was a massive gulf to begin with between the Rams and the Seahawks, or excuse me, the, the 49ers and the Seahawks. The last two seasons had had spelled that out clearly. But when you lose to the Rams twice in a season that they're supposed to be down and they're supposed to be rebuilding 
and that becomes the difference between you making the playoffs and them making the playoffs, I think that at the end of the day, I think that really struck um, harshly against Pete as you were evaluating kind of what happened with this this entire season. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because my, one of my closest friends and the two of us, we started following the NFL around the same time. And it was around the time that the Seahawks were winning Super Bowls and he's a Seahawks fan. And I was talking to him about this. I was like, like those losses against the Rams are key. We can talk about, you know, whatever about the, the four-game run, but when the Rams were coming into the season expected to be still in their rebuild mode after mortgaging their future to win the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and then they ended up beating the Seahawks, uh, was it in Seattle in week three or four? I mean, that was a, to me, that, that was that was a, a key moment that, A, the Rams are better than we thought, and B, the Seahawks were shaker than we thought. And I think that, I think that sums up probably with the situation that Seattle's in. I mean, I think just in general speaking now, we think about the Pete Carroll era, because, you know, I, for as long as I followed American football, Pete Carroll has been head coach of the Seahawks. I don't know what the culture was like or what it was like in Seattle beforehand. I don't know what, what you, know, you obviously know better than me what kind of difference he made. But when we look back now, one Super Bowl win, another Super Bowl where they made it but couldn't get it over the line. When you look back at that, the era and the level of success that Seattle has had, is it a, you know, is is it a golden era for the franchise or? Can it be looked back with a sense of a couple of missed opportunities to go even better than they did? It's it's the best error in the history of the franchise, without question. Um, but it will be one that's looked back on as as, as what if, and it's it's what if in multiple regards. It's and it starts with third and one at the one yard line, uh, you know, forty eight seconds left or whatever the, the time was, and the throw to to that Malcolm Butler intercepted. Um, I've had multiple players off that team tell me if they win that game, they win the Super Bowl the next year and they would have been back-to-back-to-back champs. They have zero doubt in their mind that the fuel of the chance to three-peat would have driven them to get it done. Um, So the first... So you look look at it sort of in, in blocks in the first five years up into that play went you couldn't have asked for more. Um, you know, three four playoff appearances, one title, three feet away from another title. Um, but they will but th- this entire era will be defined by that moment and what could have happened after. And it'll be defined by that because they never got back to that point. They never advanced past the divisional round of the playoffs again. They never got back to an NFC championship game. They never got back to a Super Bowl. That was sort of their final moment on the biggest stage in football um, during the Pete Pete Carroll era. And that is, that shouldn't be taken as a knock against all that he accomplished um, because he did really accomplish a lot. And there was, there, there might never be another, um, a period like this in franchise history where they have this much success. But the fact that they never got back to to have a moment that erased that moment from history will forever cloud how it's how it's viewed. Instead of back-to-back champs going for a three-peat, they are viewed as yeah, they won one and they blew their chance at another and they never got back there again. Um and that's Fair or unfair, that's the way it's always going to be portrayed. 
Um, you know, he won 10, 11, 12 games after had 10, 11, 12 win seasons after that. He won division titles with this team. They had an unprecedented amount of success. They went through a stretch where, I don't know, it was like 98 straight games that were just that they didn't lose by more than one score, like some ridiculous number, just always being competitive, always being in the game, always giving their fans something to to hang on with and watch and and be invested in and care for but it's it's gonna it feels it feels like there's a chapter that's missing and it's because they never got back to that point again and I think that's going to be one of his um one of his frustrations that he takes away from from this for all the good that they accomplished for the culture that they created the players that came through here the relationships which um, I'd argue that the relationships, the coach player relationships that were created here, I've never seen before in professional sports. Um, that's, I mean, heck last night there was a, there was a gathering that Russell Wilson flew in for, and it was Russell Wilson and Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner and Sidney Rice. And I mean, all those guys, Tyler Lockett, like that, the crew was back together again to celebrate Pete. Um, those kind of coach player relationships just don't happen in pro sports to that depth and that level. So that's that's a phenomenal accomplishment that that Pete Carroll created an atmosphere like that. But the on-field view of how his era is going to be defined will never be complete because of what happened in Glendale, Arizona 10 years ago. Yeah, and one thing I've always admired about the Seahawks, probably more than any other team in probably American pro sports, is that connection, as you said, between players and coach and city and fans and all the rest that I think is, is a fantastic mix of culture that Seattle has helped, to, has, that has been a hallmark of their success over the last while. And now that Pete Carroll's gone, I'm sure that a lot of that will remain. But I mean, before I let you go, I think the big question looking forward now is, and I know it's very early in the day that Pete Carroll's only out the door, but in terms of the names that are flying about or possible candidates to take the job, and I don't know what the media are saying in the Pacific Northwest specifically, I imagine there's a bit more detailed analysis there to specific names, but who who do we think is in the running that could do a relatively decent job if they got handed the keys? I think we'll learn more next week. Um, John Schneider is supposed to meet with, with the media next week, and I think that'll be the first time he's allowed to sort of lay out what his vision is for how he wants to move forward with things. If his vision includes keeping the culture the way that it is, this screams Dan Quinn. 100% screams Dan Quinn to me. Um, He went to Atlanta and he had success in Atlanta. As much as everyone wants to remember the the 28-3 Super Bowl meltdown, which, again, that's another moment that he will never escape unless he gets another opportunity to get back to a, a Super Bowl and and win one. Um, you know, he had success while he was there. Uh, it didn't end great in Atlanta, but for the most part, when you look at his time as a head coach there, they were really good. He brought in smart offensive lines. Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator in in Atlanta before he got the before he got the San Francisco job. So he has an has an eye for for what the talent needs to be to to, to um you know on the other side from from what his defensive uh mind is about about the game. So 
Um, I think if I think if they want to keep the culture in the building very similar, it's Dan Quinn. One one hundred percent to me. If they go different, who knows? You could be looking at someone like Ben Johnson or Aaron Glenn, the offensive and defensive coordinators in Detroit. I mean, hell, Jim Harbaugh can become part of the conversation for all you know. Um, if that proceeds down down the road, so uh, I, I think I, it's it, I think we'll get a little bit more info next week. If I was betting, and the odds makers have clearly clearly think this is Dan Quinn's job to lose because I think he was a, a even money bet as of yesterday. Um, if I was betting, I'd probably go that route because I do think there's something to be said for continuing as as a franchise and as an organization of continuing the culture that Pete created. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me. It would surprise me a little, but I wouldn't be shocked, I guess, if they went completely off the board and brought in someone who had no connection and wanted to do things their own way. That's fantastic. Well, we, we will uh, certainly enjoy keeping an eye on things in Seattle as the offseason goes on, which, of course, it's not the offseason for everybody, but it is for us, I guess. Um, Tim, thank you very much for taking the time out to speak to us today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.